everybody, and welcome to another edition of Entrepreneur Rx, where we help healthcare professionals own their future. Hey, everybody, welcome back to Entrepreneur Rx. Um, today, I have the great pleasure of reconnecting with somebody that, gosh, we haven't talked in probably 10 years or more since he was an undergrad at ASU. Uh, Emilio Galan has 10 years of experience in the healthcare field focused on healthcare data, analytics, provider workflow, and system measurement. Uh, Emilio is also CEO of Robin Healthcare, which we'll spend a lot of time chatting about and catching up. Emilio, good to see you, man. You have an good to see you. Ashton, I have two kids. I didn't mention that. So I have aged a lot. It feels like a warp speed aging <laughs> for me. Uh, pleasure to join. Happy to chat. Excellent. All right. So you have such a cool story. So let's just back up to kind of the pre-med days where, where we met and then take me through the next few years because there's I know there's going to be a lot to uh, digest in this. Okay. So I'm a wide-eyed, you know, optimistic, looking forward to the future undergrad student uh, when we met. And I really was uh, very excited about becoming a doc. That, that was my path. I had known it for quite a long while, actually. I had concluded I wanted to be a doctor back early high school. Lots of reasons for that. Um, and while at Arizona State, was trying to figure out kind of how to blend that desire to become a doc with some of these other interests, which were all healthcare related. So my undergrad thesis was, if you remember, on performance measurement of healthcare systems. That's why I worked closely with Mayo and Denny and how we met. Excellent. All right. So you do your undergrad, you finish, and then what happened? Straight to UCSF, straight to med school, lived the dream, um, really excited to go there. Honestly, had a little bit of like, okay, it's cool to go to the Bay Area and see what's happening in the entrepreneur kind of startup space as well. Uh, but get to UCSF, um, do a combined program between UCSF and UC Berkeley, where I did a master's where I focused on healthcare economics and policy. Uh, and so did that at Berkeley while doing the first few years of uh, kind of preclinicals at UCSF. Go through clinical training. Honestly, during clinical training, I was like, oh, this is great. This is exactly what I want. Uh, I love meeting with patients. I love chatting with patients. Um, get to my last year and... I'm at the point of figuring out what residency I want to do. And I was between two, I was between ENT and urology. ENT because <laughs> I saw this procedure where they're like shooting lasers in the ear and affecting the tympanic membranes and replacing one of the small bones in the ear. And urology because they're hilarious. And um, in that process, ended up talking with a bunch of docs about how much they like their practice uh, and what does life look like on the other side of residency, which kind of we all in medical school fear as the like, hazing of uh, medical training and could not really find a doc that was describing a life that I wanted or really a doc that was saying, I love what I do. Uh, there was more doctors 
that were telling me at that time, hey, you've got this background in healthcare economics, you've got this background policy, uh, you have other opportunities, you should look at those. Uh, it's not as green uh, over here. The grass is not as green as it might seem. Uh, and I had three attendings in my last year quit during my fourth year of medical school. And that was... Quit, quit medicine, quit? Quit, quit medicine. So uh, <laughs> two of them straight quit. Um, so that meant one of them went and started teaching kind of graduate medical education. So became involved in the school, stopped all of their clinical training or all of their clinical work. And then the other just actually quit and said, I need to go spend time with my kids because I am basically doing full days of clinic and then coming home and then doing a whole nother half day of catch up paperwork uh, rather than spending time with my kids. Uh, and then one of them basically dramatically reduced their clinic time. And so those were, those were the three attendings I was looking to. And at the same time, there was this group of students uh, either um, during medical school or after graduation that were deciding, I'm not going to go to residency. And they formed this group here in the Bay Area called the Dropout Docs. And so I got involved with some of them talking about what they were doing. Long story short, I do my clinical rotations third year. I do my boards, uh, step one, step two, all that. And then decide, I'm going to do something different. And so started Robin uh, in 2017, uh, now five years ago, and have not looked back. Wow. Okay. So how close were you to walking down the aisle? I can't say it too loudly because my mother who lives five hours from here may hear it. Uh, <laughs> five months left uh, for the MD. Um, and what some folks were trying to convince me of at the time was, Emilio, fourth year medical school after you do all of the hard stuff is like the most expensive vacation you'll ever take. Just right. finish up, get the MD. Um, but the opportunity and the conviction around starting this company was just too great. So decided to drop out and uh, start Robin. That's very cool. Well, as I, we mentioned before, it takes a large set of something that one of your specialties <laughs> would focus a lot on. And I'm not talking about ENT. So, uh, so first, congratulations. That's very cool. So I want to hear about the game. So I know about Robin, obviously, but, but give me the elevator pitch or give us the elevator pitch for Robin. Cause it's, it's pretty compelling. You know, it's all related, right? What was, what was the reason why these docs were, were dropping out? Uh, why have my friends, a number of my classmates dropped out since uh, they graduated is that the experience of the doctor has been, um, has taken a back seat to a whole bunch of other priorities within the healthcare ecosystem. And it's just not why they went into school. It's not why they went to get the MD. It's not why as a eight year old or a 15 year old or a 22 year old, you're like, you know what? I want to be a doc. That's what I want to do every day. My wife, who I met in medical school, is a doc in intern year in residency right now at Stanford doing internal med. And every few days, my daughter asks, hey, wh where's mommy going? And her response, my wife's response, and my response is, oh, she's going to go take care of sick people. I mean, that's like gold, right? That we get to tell that to our daughter. That's why my wife went into 
training and wants to be a doc. That's why I originally went in. That's not what docs spend the majority of their time on today. It's a whole bunch of other priorities that have to do with compliance and billing and coding and authorizations and fighting insurance companies. And so the real push for me to start Robin was that I had that personal experience of doctors that were either quitting or pulling back clinic time. And then my background in health economics and policy and just the way that the world was changing and becoming more comfortable with smart devices and recording devices in every room of their lives, homes, hotels, et cetera, presented an opportunity. Uh, and that opportunity was let's take a device like an Alexa device, like a Google assistant device. Let's put it in the exam room with the explicit goal of allowing doctors to focus on patient care. Uh, and it's been super rewarding. That's amazing. So let me ask you a question. Do you think we, meaning physicians, did this to ourselves? Because I, we know each other. I've, been, I've done this for a long time. And I agree with you. A lot of medicine is not what any of us probably signed up for. But I wonder, had we, and I don't, I don't want to use the word unionized, but had we actually had a more cohesive group that we could have, we, we could have stopped a lot of this. So I would not say that docs did it to themselves, but I would say that docs did not do enough to prevent it. That's a better way to say it. I agree. Yeah, we could have taken a much firmer stance. It's funny. I was talking to a relative who works for a health plan, and um, I, I don't know what she's marketing or something. And then you know, I said, "How much do you make?" I said, "Don't even tell me. Let me guess. You probably make three fifty a year." And she nods her head. I go, "How much do you think the average physician makes?" And she's like, "Oh my God, you know, seven fifty. And I go, "No, it's under two hundred. And she couldn't believe it. And I go, "Now let me ask you another question. What value?" do you add to the healthcare system? And I'm up for anything. Whatever you say, I'll just say believe. To the patient, to the patient care, to health. And she couldn't think of anything. And I go, this is exactly why physicians are frustrated. I said, pediatrician, I got the Medscape survey. Pediatricians make, I think the average was 100, was it 140? 150, 140, yeah. yeah. Not that that's horrible, but with, you know, a quarter million in debt coming out of medical school right, in all no. those years, an opportunity lost, that's not all that training. much. Yeah. Right. So, all right, let's, I want to hear how you're going to fix it. So what does so Robin do? Well, okay, before we get to Robin, docs have a role to prevent the either further uh, subjugation of their job and their title and their everyday practice. Um, and I do think that there is a larger opportunity beyond Robin, right, outside of Robin, just docs themselves, turning the tide back to who actually provides value in the chain to patient care. Uh, but it requires docs to be organized and frankly, to stop being scared of risk. You have to take financial risk if you want to do it as docs. I mean, the idea that you're just gonna punch in, punch out and uh, get your fee-for-service yum-yums is is not going to be enough. I think the only way to actually change it is for docs to get in the game of financial risk, which is the whole deal behind ACO reaches and it needing to be doc owned. I think that's that there is a path. Um, okay, what is Robin's role? Robin's role is that in as little effort, time, distraction as possible, you get paid, right? 
you comply. You protect yourself from liability. The reason why is because instead of doing a whole bunch of paperwork, there's a freaking recording device in the room. Right? Via that device in the room, I, I have the ability to support everything you do, everything you say, everything that the patient does and says because of that kind of assistant device that's there with you. So we do a whole bunch of the billing work, a whole bunch of the compliance work, and a whole bunch of the liability work behind the scenes so that you can be done. I mean, done with your day-to-day. All of the things that take hours uh, today for the average doc, 90 seconds per patient. Wow. Is it is it an AI-driven process at, at the end of the day? It is... Every tool under the sun. So this device in the room has four microphones. It's a micro ray, has a camera on it. I have one. I should grab it. I can show it to you maybe at the end here. 160-degree uh, camera. Um, and so both the audio gets automatically processed with a whole bunch of models. And that's natural language processing, natural language understanding. And then the video is also processed with a whole bunch of models. That then goes into the back end where we will quality review it up to three times so that's a human review that's checking it for accuracy because uh, as we know you need to bill accurately you need to make sure that the data is accurate this is patient care that we're talking about and then it all gets exported to where it needs to go so that would be to your billing team that would be to the insurers that would be to your emr practice management system so is it is there a scribe component as well i ask you a question you answer it um, it's more, so you talk to other folks in this space and the folks, uh, that have humans in the loop will, they have all kinds of names for them. Augmetics calls theirs, uh, uh, medical decision support, or no, medical documentation specialist, MDSs. Um, uh, we have coders, we have scribes. And then we have a whole set of auditors that will go through and do the review. Um, at the end of the day, what it looks like is, did the doctor address at least one chronic condition? Yes, no. Right. Did the doctor modify medication? Yes, no. Uh, is the condition of the patient worsening? Why are these the things we look at? It's because these are the things that drive billing. Well, and drive liability, obviously, as well. And drive liability. Okay, so typical emergency department patient, and I, this is probably more for a primary care office. You, you know, you walk in, you see the patient, you do an exam, and then I walk out, and the scribe who who is following me, who is, you know, uh, one of these super smart pre-med kids uh, who I could never compete with at their age, um, puts down, you know, they put down a complete exam for me, and I'm like, well, no, no, wait a minute, I, I did not check their patellar reflexes. So, but now I'm on camera. So is someone saying, wait a minute, this isn't a complete exam because you didn't actually do X, Y, Z. Yeah, John, this, I have to say this all the time. We didn't build Robin with this device and all of the technology and all of the systems behind it so that we could continue status quo bullshit. Right? No more documenting shit that wasn't done. I don't want to see an orthopedist who has no murmurs, rubs, gallops. Right. It hasn't touched a stethoscope in 15 years. I just don't want to see that any, like, we didn't build our company to continue status quo. It is a change. It is a significant change. And we are upfront about that. So when we work with docs, 
this is going to be a change in the workflow. This is going to be a change in the output, but this is the future. And three-page notes and documentation that you're used to, which is bloated with a whole bunch of shit you didn't do, copy and paste, macro, blah, 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 that you think is covering you and getting you paid, but actually is not. But that's just not going to be what you get from Robin, right? It is better. It is next generation. Where, where did the name Robin come from, by the way? Um, whole bunch of debate with uh, my uh, co-founder early on. We did, we landed on Robin for a whole bunch of reasons, but the most important one was the sidekick. Like we want to support Docs. Um, there are very few as words in, as in Batman and Robin, as in Love potentially, and, and uh, as um, as important. There are very few words that are ubiquitous, uh, yeah. as, as ubiquitous, easy to spell, easy to understand, but also that are both a name and a thing. And so you have the Robin, which is the device. And you also say, hey, Robin, when you wanted to do something specific. And so uh, the fact that it had both of those qualities made it a slam dunk. And I think when people hear, I mean, at least people my age share the name Robin, you instantly think of Batman and Robin, the sidekick. Pretty cool name. So hats off to you. Okay, so, so you're in the exam room. I say, hey, Robin. I'm doing an exam right now. They're ex- not nothing. Less about that. It's more so when the patient gets roomed. Hey, Robin, this is John Smith uh, here to see Dr. Jones. That is the start of the visit. The doctor's experience for us, those 90 seconds, uh, are, we try and make it as unintrusive uh, and least distracting as possible. So if there's something you really want us to catch, you could say, hey, Robin, but we're catching all the stuff for billing and compliance just off of the natural visit itself. Uh, The important piece for you, right? Documentation, these visits uh, have value for you next time you see the patient, maybe less so in emergency med, but hey, other folks need to take care of this patient as they go to the floor or as they go back to the primary care doctor. Um, And so it is important that the clinical care component gets addressed, right? Part of documenting is for actually taking taking care of patients, not your general exam with patellar reflexes, but the clinical decision-making, the synopsis you do, that assessment and plan that you put together. And so uh, there is uh, multiple workflows that docs can use. But one way or another, we do want to hear, what do you think about this patient? And so you can say that to the device as a, hey, Robin, here's what I think in summary. And that typically takes about 90 seconds. Uh, You could actually do it with the patient. And so we call that an interactive dictation where you're talking to the patient, hey, in summary, here's what's going on. Here's what I recommend. We'll take that. We'll convert it and make that the clinical care component. Uh, And then lastly, if you want to do it outside of the visit. So let's say you see the patient, there's things that you didn't want to quite get into with the patient while you were there. You can either do it to an, a device after the fact, or you can do it on your phone. So walking between uh, rooms. Do, do you see a future where the patient's room and you say, hey, Robin, this is Mr. This is Mr. Smith. And the door closes and Robin says, Mr. Smith, hey, before Dr. Jones is into the room, let's go over a little bit of your history. Have you changed any medications? That, that sort of AI process. Um, some of that's already happening. 
And so we have the ability to get information from the patient. The way it works now is via standard interface tablet. Um, I do see a future where it could be via the device, via the speaker and microphone on the device. Interesting. Because that, I mean, and then imagine Dr. Jones comes into the room and Robin turns into the, and turns into the resident. Hey, I just talked to Mr. Just talked to Mr. Smith and, and, and here's what he's, here's what he said. Um, and so exactly. that, that would be amazing. Yep. Uh, the, uh, prompting of the physician of the information they need to both take care of the patient, but also what's the minimum you need to do Like, What, if you were going to do three things to get paid better, to comply better or cover yourself from a liability standpoint, what are those three things? That kind of push of information to the physician is super important. And what is the interoperability currently of the different EHRs? A mess. <laughs> a giant, stinking mess. Um, we we pull every trick out of the hat to integrate and interoperate with the EMRs and practice management systems. Uh, everything from CSVs to RPA to full integrations to manual pushes and pulls. Uh, I... I think it's going to get better, John, with the latest rules for interoperability. I think I haven't seen it yet, but I hope. Interesting. I mean, it can't get any worse. I mean, you've already suffered the worst part. Cannot get worse than manually going in, diving through the dumpster of the EMR, pulling out information, manually going in and pushing information. So that is our backup uh, worst case scenario, which we are ready to do. Wow. How many different facilities or practices is Robin deployed in right now? Uh, so we are in three hospital systems and about a dozen other uh, multi-specialty or kind of physician uh, groups. We primarily focus on orthopedics today. Um, but we overall, every week we'll process something like two dozen different specialties on the system. Our primary metric is, uh, looking at how much the volume of patient kind of minutes, hours that come through our system that we need to process. And we're doing, we've done probably, I don't know, 10, 10 million hours of, of uh, patient visit processing. Wow. All right. And then is the billing model just a percent of collected revenue? Is it just a standard user fee? Flat fee. Flat, Flat fee. fee per visit. We did that as a part of COVID. We wanted to be variable costs because patient volumes were up and down and all around. And so we just wanted to model after our, after our clinics. Right, it does de-risk it. Do you think that COVID actually accelerated your business or did it slow it down because no one wanted to do anything different or new? Okay, so I saw both, right? So there was a COVID clinic that got started at UCSF where they needed docs going in hazmat situation, fully geared up. And for folks that would have had an MA or a resident or a scribe or someone else there to help, they put the device in instead. And so we were in the COVID clinics uh, kind of tents um, that they put together. So in, in that way, I saw some acceleration. Uh, we got to do some cool projects with some payers uh, during that time. 
on the flip side, volumes are down, yeah. right? Just patient volumes across the board are down. There's a money pinch. And so things that are innovative, fundamentally changing the status quo, or frankly focused on bettering the physician experience, take a backseat. Which is mind-numbing, of course. The, the one time, you know, since 1918, when physicians needed a little extra help, um, I, I, yet again, we take a backseat um, to it. That's um, wild. What was, uh, what's, what was your biggest surprise during these last 10 years? Or maybe the last five years since Robin started, what was your biggest surprise? Like what, did, what, what didn't you see coming? John, I think it's more probably I am constantly surprised at just how fucked up the healthcare system, healthcare billing, the administrative war between providers and payers is. It is a never-ending like Dante Inferno going to the seven rings of hell surprise fest. Uh, it, it cannot be, there's no way that we spend like 500 billion to a trillion dollars on paperwork and insurance related bullshit. It can't be that we have seven FTEs for every doctor that are basically doing paperwork. It cannot be that we still primarily push information via fax. It cannot be like the just getting into the actual work required to automate or extract out billing compliance liability from the physician's workflow brain space uh, requires us to get super deep. I feel like I'm at Alice in Wonderland. The, um, it's, it's funny. I, 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 when you said Dante's levels of hell, I'm <laughs> having a discussion with a payer right now for emergency medicine company who wants us to really dramatically cut back on our on our rates and so i said help me understand this our staffing costs have gone up our med mail's gone up and our benefits have gone up as you know you're the insurer and you raised yours nine percent last year two percent the year before your ceo received a 10 million dollar bonus last year and your your ebitda your profit to shareholders um was nine billion dollars how is it you can stand here or how sit here with a straight face and ask me to cut our rates because we're not the problem here and first off i had a deer in the headlights look and <laughs> secondly i go i know you can't answer the question but i want to hear you try because i can't answer it either i can't in good conscience sit here and, and just say oh okay right. you know hit, hit me here's again. my rate cut yeah right yeah yeah it's so sad it's like um the mental image I have is these mega systems getting built out between the payer and the provider by provider. I mostly mean hospital systems fighting this epic battle between each other. And you've got patient and you've got doctor here just completely uh, deprioritized, forgotten, uh, cogified. I mean, just forgotten in this consolidation uh, mega war that we spend four trillion dollars on for you yeah i know i and, and i and i love medicine i would do it again in a second i still love practicing medicine but i'm glad i'm at the end of my um 
clinical practice life. We're not not at the end yet, but uh, you know, I'll be there relatively soon. So I totally get it. So first off, thanks for working on this problem because hopefully, and I have all sorts of ideas I want to chat with you about at some point. But but and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. But it's absolutely a complete need. It has to be done, or we're going to be in this quagmire forever. And you know, you said something earlier. I worry that that you know this ship has left the port. In other words, there, there will be little we can do to regain any sense of control. We as physicians regain any sense of control in healthcare. You know, um, I don't believe that. Good. I think that it starts with, and this is why we began, Rob, in the first place, better data. In better data, putting that in the hands of the folks that matter most, the doc, uh, and allowing them, therefore, like negotiation should not be this who has more market power. It should be who has better data and better performance. Better outcomes. Yeah, absolutely. Who, who has better outcomes. And that, that shift to better data that can drive better outcomes, can drive better negotiations, can drive better payment, can drive a more equitable future model of healthcare or, that I think is paying the folks driving value, which is going to be the folks on the front lines. And so we have evidence. We've got a doc um, that I was talking to recently uh, that is engaged in a value-based, uh, fully capitated risk contract. This is a very small group, um, and they're taking home $4 million a year. And it's like, yeah, if they're providing the value, if those patients actually have better outcomes, better outcomes, lower MLR, lower hospitalizations, then that's exactly right. That's how it should be. Um, and so I, I don't think it's over. I think we're more like in the middle of the story than at the end. Good, good. Well, I think uh, there's a lot of us that still have some fight left, but but there's also <laughs> a lot of people who are like, you know, screw this, not what I signed up for. And I think the great resignation, you know, did not go unnoticed in medicine. I mean, COVID certainly pushed a lot of people yep. to the brink of their mental health and their work-life balance. So we'll see if it comes back. Let's get it in time for my wife. Yes. John. We so that's, three years. We got three years, John. We can do it. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. Well, Emila, where, where can people learn more about you and more about Robin? Because I have a feeling they're going to sign up. Yep. Uh, okay. So, uh, robinhealthcare.com. Uh, and I am happy to connect with anyone. Probably easiest thing is LinkedIn, Emilio Galan, uh, or you can email me. It's Emilio at robinhealthcare.com. Perfect. And we'll put all this in our show notes, guys. Get every, Emilio, thank you so much. Great reconnecting again. You haven't aged a bit, so it must be all internal. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, thanks everybody for listening and we'll see you again soon. Thanks for listening to another great edition of Entrepreneur Rx. To find out how to start a business and help secure your future, go to johnshufeltmd.com. Thanks for listening.